The Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode I'll be chatting with Audra McCarthy, CEO of Defence Teaming Centre, along with Maury McNam, Chair of the Board for North Star Maritime, Sandra Simpson, who's the Marketing and Strategic Development Person with Alexon Electronics, and Esther Pither, Finance and Administration Manager for CBG Systems. Welcome everyone to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Excellent. So we've got a bit of a packed episode to get stuck into here, uh, but we're going to start off with you, Audra, because uh, this is all about Defence Teaming Centre's history, purpose, and and the awards. So let's start off by talking about DTC's history and purpose, your practical interactions with Defence, and the outcomes of those interactions. Yeah, thank you. So um, the Defence Teaming Centre is 26 years young. So um, I say young because the sector is, is is still evolving, still emerging, and the DTC, like the sector, is continually evolving and emerging. So um, over 26 years ago, a, a bunch of small business CEOs and the state government got together and decided they actually needed a industry-led initiative that would enable businesses to be able to enter into the defence sector. So if we go back to the 90s, the landscape of the defence sector was considerably different to where it is at today. In fact, how we transacted business was considerably different. Um, procurement models were um, drastically different. And so Back then we were looking for or they were looking for a a system that brought organisations together to be able to win defence work. And so back then the the organisation was very much focused on South Australia because that's how procurement was actually um, done uh, with defence. It was decentralised. Fast forward to 26 years, procurement's now centralised. Small organisations have uh, offices located around Australia, businesses transacted uh, remotely via VTC and so forth. And so the DTC has continually evolved in line with defence. But one thing that has remained unchanged is our ability to bring organisations together for teaming and develop that ecosystem that enables industry to come together in a supported environment to win work in defence. So pretty good uh, outcomes there for DTC, helping make it all happen. And you're right, so many so many things have changed in defence industry engagements and so on. Now, DTC, you're in South Australia. Do you find that there's any adverse perceptions within industry that you're South Australian focused as opposed to the whole of the country? Yeah, I think um, if we look at our membership base, and indeed if we actually look at some of the winners who have taken out the awards this year, um, I think, as I said, historically that may have been the case, but that's slowly coming down and and changing. We've got businesses as far north as Cairns, Brisbane, Tasmania, Adelaide, Western Australia, um, even ACT in Sydney uh, are involved Pretty much the whole of Australian industry are involved in DTC. So those perceptions are coming down. And I think that's because the challenges being experienced by industry are common no matter where you are located across Australia. Uh, The challenges are exactly the same. 
we're all delivering to the same single customer. So it's it's a very unique market. We don't have multiple consumers in this market. One customer, that customer is based in Canberra, um, but they also have uh, offices located around Australia, but their <laughs> behaviours, their characteristics are exactly the same. So uh, I guess that's why it's easy for us now to be able to transact and do business and, and meet the needs of industry across Australia. Fantastic. So you've mentioned the um, awards and the winners and so on. So let's look at the Defence Teaming Centre Awards. Can you explain these annual awards, What they're, you know, where, where was the incentive for them, um, how they applied and assessed, and how they're helping industry engage with defence? Yeah, sure. The the awards were set up to give our members the opportunity to, to chop their wheels and celebrate their success. One thing Australians are not good at, and that is celebrating their success. Our culture is very um, don't do a song and dance, mate, I just rocked up to work today, no big to, no need to break out the hoo-ha and balloons, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but if you look at some of the things that our members do and some of the things that they achieve, they are big deals and they deserve to be celebrated and they need to be recognised. And so... Um, going back over eight, nine years ago, the DTC established the awards program to provide recognition to those small to medium-sized businesses because the recognition wasn't coming from anywhere else. Um, unless you're a large organisation, Defence never took any notice and, and never saw who you were. And so this was a great opportunity for SMEs to get some kind of recognition so through the process, uh, we do each year get lots of nominations from companies within the membership, and we're finding that the companies who nominate for the awards, it's no different to going for a tender process. Um, they actually have to write about themselves, they have to write about their achievements, and more importantly, those achievements have to be written in the sense of what outcome they delivered. So it's not just talking about how good they are um, and using um furphy um, type descriptors, they've actually got to describe real outcomes that they've delivered and it's those outcomes which they're being judged against, which is no difference to the skill sets that's required to put in for a tender evaluation. So in many regards, um, the step or the process of applying for an award is no different for a tender um, process. So it's part of us developing our membership to help them put their best foot forward to win future work as well. So, Yeah, that's well pointed out that uh, like answering a tender, so too answering the ability to win an award. So uh, let's move on to the other folks who are here, uh, winners of their respective awards this year. So uh, the first question I'm going to throw out here is, how are your organisations addressing the skills shortage that's being experienced in Australia? And in fact, I'd say the rest of the world, I'm hearing it from everyone. We're all having this problem. How are you addressing it? And is there a solution? Esther, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, yes. Well, we're, I guess, investing a lot of time and effort in upskilling our own staff. I think at the back end of or through COVID, as the work sort of, we had a bit of a downturn with our workload, um, we put all our um, trade staff or our um, workshop employees through apprenticeship programs. And we found that to be really beneficial, getting, getting that consistent training throughout all our staff. A lot of them really appreciated getting the opportunity to get a, a formal qualification and we're carrying that on now um, with any new starters that we're getting um, for the workshop floor. We're just putting them straight into an apprenticeship scheme. So, 
yeah, they're really enjoying it. I think going forward, it'll be looking towards those leadership skills and building those. Um, yeah, we've recently opened up a facility in Adelaide as well. I think there'll be numerous issues that we've yet to encounter with that facility as we build that one up, but I think that one's to stay posted on. Maury, do you want to chip in for your organisation? Yeah, thanks, Grant. We're, we're trying a couple of different things. I don't think we've got any quick fix at the moment. Um, it's everything from people tradesmen in the shipyards through to people doing scheduling and uh, major systems management in North Star itself. We've had a program running for some time of getting apprentices in. We try and keep, at the moment, about 10% of the workforce in the shipyards as apprentices, and we're now carrying that through into our supply chain where about 10% of the uh, billable hours have to be done by apprentices. So that is actually picking up a lot of kids in the Canberra and the Cairns region um, who might otherwise leave to get work, and uh, that, that helps us build a long-term workforce. We've tapped into the Indigenous community in the Cairns region the moment, about 20% of our staff in the shipyards is Indigenous, and uh, we're, we're working on that. We're out at Yarrabah for the skills for uh, skills uh, workshop uh, just recently. We've also got um, internships and uh, attachments for kids out of uni. So the idea is, if you live in the Cairns region and you go out of Cairns to get your engineering degree, there's opportunities when you come back. So, and we're working closely with TAFE, um, the universities and even the schools in terms of channeling kids into each of those different sort of streams. That's paying some benefits now, but again, you're talking, you know, four or five years. It's a sort of medium-term investment to build that workforce. The short term, we struggle, like everyone, to get people with specific skills. There's an added difficulty of getting people to move to Cairns. When you sort of think, uh, you know, it's you move from Sydney to Melbourne, or Sydney to Brisbane. Well, if you move from Brisbane to Cairns, it's twice the distance. So there is an element of getting people to move there. Once they settle in, it's great. Um, the only other thing we're looking at at the moment, and it's going to depend on the government, is short-term specific skill visas. We know there's uh, quite a lot of interest for people to come and work in our specific areas, and uh, we're hoping that may provide some very targeted short-term relief. But we've got no no um, no immediate fix. We're just really plugging through on a long term, and for our operations in Darwin, um, which have been growing, problems even worse. You got about a 35% turnover of the workforce up there, and you're competing with the oil and gas industry. So, yeah, it's a global challenge. It's an Australia, a national challenge, and it's particularly for us a regional challenge. So, right across the board, then. And Sandra, for yourself? It's exactly the same for Alexon uh, here in Brisbane. What we do, we have established relationship with the University of Sunshine Coast because we've got the advantage of being 15 minutes away from there and they have only two years ago started their engineering program. So we are sort of like trying to build up this capability through them, which is amazing and it helps us a lot. 
And what we do every year, we take the first year students, take them for a tour of facility. We show them what it really means in the real life to become an engineer. And uh, we hope that we will sort of shape them and influence them. And thanks to us, well, they will find the right path. And a couple of years later, we'll be able to invite them to our team. Um, what is quite often mentioned is uh, uh, women in the workforce, in the engineering and manufacturing. It is one topic that we quite often talk about because from some reason, Alexon has almost 40% of women within our workforce. Uh, this is just how it happened. We love uh, diversity within our team. And when we uh, welcome students uh, for our tours, we quite often notice that out of 20 or 30 stu students coming in, it's only up to five girls. So this is something that we would like to focus on too. And we have established relationships with high schools, but until now it was only boys' high schools, but we want to start talking to girls' high schools as well, just to show them, them that engineering and manufacturing is really exciting and there's so much for girls. They can they can develop and they can learn and show that the girls girl power is here. And, um, Excellent. Yeah, and about uh, skilled migration, this is a big topic for us too. A couple of years ago, we started looking for a production engineer and we just couldn't find any. Like it's uh, it's not something that is, it's probably not the role for engineers and you need a bit of experience. So it is something for, it's a specific position for someone who is really interested in uh, electronics manufacturing. We ended up uh, looking for the person in Germany, in Poland, in the Czech Republic, and we were willing to help with sponsorship, but it became too difficult. So, guild migration is something that we really support, and we would actually love government to help us with and support us in this topic. So I'm hearing very similar, despite the range of locations and uh, enterprises that we're representing here today, and uh, no real short-term solution. It's invest now for the future and help us government to get some people in in the reasonable term to help bridge the gap. So interesting, a, co a commonality across the board. Uh, I'll move on to the next question, and that's... Uh, how are your organizations overcoming the supply shortage we're all dealing with? It's not just the talent, it's also the supply. And Sandra, do you want to take the lead on that one? Well, yes, I love this one. Or I don't love this one, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's a big topic for us as electronics manufacturer and designer. We have currently lead times longer than 52 weeks, so everyone can imagine what it what it means. And um, it just flows through the through the whole production to sub-assemblies, uh, the chip shortage and associated uh, problems are huge for our industry. What, How we tackle it, it's not ideal, but we end up spending a lot of time on redesigning of, uh, of boards. And it is time that we could have spent on actually innovating or coming up with something completely new but instead of that we are working on something that's already existing and we are just trying to make our way around it um, and also 
what we do, we try to talk to our customers and we try to get their forecast for next 12 months just to make sure that we know what to expect and we can order ahead. It sort of means that we are not lean anymore, even though we would try to be lean. We are actually becoming becoming quite fat. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it just means that our warehouses are getting bigger, but we want to make sure that we are able to support our customers and deliver. Yeah, definitely that uh, need for less just-in-time. Audra, did you want to chip in on that? Yeah, the, the supply issue is a really interesting one for the defence sector because in, in these supply chains, defence often uh, specifies and stipulates the requirements, the materials, um, the grades of the materials um, and properties the materials must must be utilised. And when industry can't source those materials, it's a huge engineering change process and con- configuration control administrative nightmare that has to be undertaken by industry and discussed with defence to be able to look for those alternatives. Um, and so for small, medium-sized enterprises who are accustomed to working in other faster-moving sectors like oil and gas, um, or mining and agricultural where those substitutes uh, are, are quite easy. Whilst Sandra says, you know, a lot of work's invested in design changes, you can still get those design changes through. In defence, you can investigate those design options, but you still can't get it through uh, the engineering change process of defence, which would be, it will is actually quite problematic for uh, industry's ability to deliver kit on time to defence. Yeah, no, the, the uh, engineering change process in defence is rather legendary uh, <laughs> for the hoops. So, uh, Maury, did you want to chip in on this? Yeah, I think what the last couple of years has confirmed is just in time is just too late. It doesn't work. And you either end up not being able to put a ship back in the water or you're cannibalising another ship to do it, often with second-hand you know, used parts. Now, we make it work, but it's not ideal. And a lot of our focus has been, and this is, was part of our argument, which we won the uh, the uh, North Regional Maintenance Provider Northeast contract on, was building up a more robust regional capability. And again, not easily done. We're working, we're plugging away, and we've had some good success. But you've got to get through the defence security clearance system on facilities, on people, which can be not only lengthy but expensive. And you've got to have consistency of work or scale, and those. And then you, if your defence isn't giving you consistent work, um, or there's not sufficient scale, then these small businesses have to balance their survival by having other business, uh, other interests as well. So we've had some success. We're probably moving towards, you know, as a broad thing, at eighty-eight percent of our. The money stays in the region and about 90, 92 to 93% in the country. And that's by using those supply chains. That's one of the indicators of where we're spending the money. But um, if you don't have nationally standardised, national standards or standardisation across the maritime area with defence, um, it all adds to your cost and difficulty. So really it's work in progress, partly with the regional capability a lot of money and effort, and also trying to work defence on their warehousing because sometimes they will, as uh, Audra said, they'll stipulate what we've got to have and sometimes it's got to come through their logistic system. So you're balancing both the bureaucracy of that with the uh, local supply chain. 
So interesting times, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of things there could be done better, but it's not a quick yeah, fix well, again. It never is. It never is. Esther, did you have anything to add to that one? Yeah, I think we've been experiencing all the same issues everyone else has here, some yeah, very long lead times on items. Um like with Sandra, we've, you know, taken a collaborative approach with talking with our suppliers regularly just to find out where things are at, see see when we can get things or get part orders of things. Air freighting as well is costing us a fortune at the moment, um, but it's a necessary evil at the moment. Um, we've also also gone and looked for alternative suppliers or products and we've had some actually really good results out of that and found some better quality products or price efficiencies and also been able to implement dual sourcing strategies there. So it hasn't always been bad. It's it's forced us to actually go out there and have a look. Yes, it's also cost us money, but it's been not a bad thing. Um, we recently invested in a, a CNC machine so we could just bring in-house some of our um, manufacture of our components. I mean, that's also great as well for increasing our sovereign capability. So it hasn't always been bad. It's been a fair set of challenges which have given us all um, grey hairs, but um, yeah, it hasn't always been bad. Challenges that have worked out in the end, fortunately, and uh, made the world better. That's a wonderful thing. So shifting gears slightly, we hear the phrase being defence ready and businesses need to become defence ready, become mature defence ready organisations. So what recommendations do you folks have for becoming mature defence ready organisations and what do you see as the main barriers to preventing that from happening in the current environment? And Sandra, we'll start with yourself. We are fairly new to defence. Uh, we pretty much started our journey two, three years ago. So I can I can give you probably the freshest insight into this because it, it has been pretty fast for us. It's been a steep learning journey. We first started talking to DTC and actually it was them who completely accelerated our, our defence readiness program. They took time and explained to us what what is needed, what is expected. They put us in the right direction uh, when we start where we started talking to CDIC, which is Otis uh, today, and we found out our way around grants and government support and important stakeholders within defense and government and uh, important customers. So in the end, we uh, started with. DISP because it is cybersecurity, IT upgrade, and physical security was something that we didn't consider before we started our defense journey. So now uh, we have upgraded everything. It wasn't it wasn't easy, I have to say. It was it was quite complex because we are a group of companies and it uh, it brings in next level of com- complexity. We also uplifted our quality management systems and it was something we actually I have to say that we owe defense the fact that we have become a better business and much faster than it would have normally happened we knew that if we want to be taken seriously as a defense supplier or airspace supplier we need to have AS9100D we always had our our usual ISO 910 
but we had to upgrade quite significantly and quickly. And we are also quite serious about sustainability. So it was a no-brainer that we did our ISO 14001. All that was happening within a short period of one year. And we are quite wow. <laughs> we are quite a small team of people. It, it's it's only 45 of us. So it was it was a challenging year. But we did it and we have we have seriously changed. What what was important for us was also the manufacturing equipment that we had. And this is where we were really lucky and government supported us heavily. We got through SIGP grant more than $2 million into huge upgrade of our manufacturing facility. So now we say that we are pretty much industry 4.0 manufacturing facility and we've got machines that no one else has. And we are perfectly positioned and we have the perfect capability that is needed for defense customers. It is it is uh, pretty much we sort of like ordered what we knew that most of our important defense customers would, would be willing for us to have. So it was another big part of that. And the most important is theme because obviously it was a big burden on the theme to go through all that. So now we are going through development program of our team. We got a SADI grant that is helping us to uplift our capabilities. We are learning lean, us to, all of us together as a team, which is fantastic. It is a huge experience. We've got we've got our boards everywhere, and everyone's following each other's progress, and we are supporting each other. It's it's fun. It's like it's like a game. I have to say, we are learning project management because most of us like who work with our customers, we feel that it's lots to do, and we need to find new way how to how to navigate our way through multiple projects at the same time. So project manage management is another big thing. And also cybersecurity awareness, it's a huge thing for us. Uh, we are only at the beginning of our DISP membership. is a long way ahead of us. So we want to make sure that we are prepared for that. That's quite a, a broad spectrum of tasks there to be becoming a mature defense ready. But it's great to hear that you're getting good government support in this area. Uh, through that SICP grant and Sadie and so on. Uh, so, Esther, did you want to build on anything there? As as uh, is there anything different to what Sandra said that you've noted? I think that's yeah, quite a comprehensive list that she's given us. So, um, not a great deal. I think probably ours has been a slower rise to that maturity, fortunately. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the only thing I have to say is it's, um, you know, you, you've got to look, invest a lot of time and effort into it and the environment is changing. So, it's just constantly staying on top of that. But, yeah, the government grants have been phenomenal for us in supporting us as well. Yeah, definitely a, a common theme I'm hearing from others as well. So, Maury, anything to add on all that? Yeah, I think uh, certainly for North Star and the two shipyards, we were reasonably well advanced in these areas. We've had excellent support from the Office of Defence Industry Support and also some grants from the uh, government in the last two years to upgrade some of the facilities and shipyards. However, for our supply chain, which we're trying to build, it's probably more of a challenge. And it comes back to that issue of scale versus the, co versus the, versus the cost of meeting all these government requirements to become a mature fa uh, facility. And uh, if you've got a large shipyard, you can probably 
you know where to go to look for the grants and you've got enough scale to do it. If you're a small supplier and you know, we have you know, 100, 120 across the region, then getting through the disk process, getting through the security clearance, getting your IT facilities up, meeting all the cyber requirements, being able to work with the Commonwealth databases, the weight of reporting that's required uh, can be pretty overwhelming for a small business. And they've sort of got to say, well, is it worth us getting into it? And I think getting the government assistance in those areas for some of those smaller suppliers, even teaching them how they can get grants, because some of them are so busy keeping their business surviving, they haven't got a lot of time to sit down and go looking through the websites or trying to chase those grants. So, yeah, some really good stuff out of Otis. Um, there's some really good stuff in some of the grants, like SECP, and uh, some assistance we've had, but... I think there's a lot of scope for the government to help those supply chains develop and it'll be a good investment because once it's up and running and they grow, it'll then develop a life of its own that brings all sorts of benefits back to both government and the community. Interesting. Yeah, and valid point there. Audrey, you want to chip chip in? Once we make the investment or once government makes that investment and grow these supply chains, um, the, in, the return on investment is, is going to emerge. And, and, and that's an important point that we do need to remind everyone is that Australia has only, as a government, has only seriously made that decision to invest in, in its own manufacturing sector in, in the last decade, to be brutally honest. And we're competing with countries who have been manufacturing with quite advanced manufacturing for centuries. And so we have, as a country, have a long way to go in realising that maturity in our businesses to get to that same standard. So if you reflect on, I guess, the journey of Alexon and CBG and even the shipyard, in a very short period of time, our Australian businesses are making huge advances and that's the very reason why we do have these award processes because these advancements in themselves are actually going unnoticed because people don't understand that the, or comprehend the significance of what's being achieved by these small businesses. And it's a start today, tomorrow they grow. And, you know, our vision is that in 10, 15 years' time, these businesses are going to be medium-sized enterprises, um, enterprises that are managing their own supply chains. They're bringing a raft of smaller businesses behind them. Um, they, they become quite complex uh, structures entering into the export sector, but it all has to start somewhere, and that's where we are at today in that growth cycle. Yeah, fascinating to consider all that. Let's move on to the final question that uh, we want to put out here for all of you. We've gone through a lot of becoming defence mature defence ready, uh, dealing with issues that have been coming up and some of the benefits we've received from that. And uh, we mentioned collaboration. A couple of you have said that in your answers earlier. So let's wind up with a final question. And What benefits have you folks realised in your industries through collaboration? And Maury, let's start with you. Pretty simply, we wouldn't be where we are without the collaboration and teaming. It wouldn't have happened. Um, We've really the, we've broken the myth that an Australian company can't be the prime, and essentially what we're doing in Cairns um, is replacing three or four international primes over time. We couldn't have done that if we didn't have uh, Nova to draw on the depth from them, Sakura with specialists, uh, 
a different uh, sort of collaboration with the government rather than the adversarial system and if we didn't have the shipyards. So everything we put together for our bid and what's made us successful for our first 18 months, touch forward, touch wood going forward as well, has been through collaboration and teaming. Northstar sits over the top of it, but without all those different parts and the depth of reaching in across the industry and you know, 120 local uh, regional providers and others nationally, we wouldn't exist and we wouldn't have won the uh, contract to be the prime running everything out of Northeast. So, yeah, it's absolutely core to what we're doing. And uh, Esther, do you have anything to build on that? Yeah, well, I guess us winning or CBG Systems winning the Innovation Award is in part due to a great collaboration we had with the CSIRO um, in developing our insulation product, Rack Plus. Um, the CSIRO came to us with a product that they didn't know what to do with, um, which was HIPS, a, a fire retardant polymer coating. Uh, we were able to adapt this to our structural fire protection systems and rethink the way fire protection insulations is, is done on vessels. Um, this collaboration has been critical to the ongoing success and sustainability of CBG. So, yeah, it's been great. Fantastic. Core to everything so far. And Sandra? Well, I have mentioned already the collaboration between industry and academia. We find it very important and we also work with other universities in multiple research projects. Um, networking, it was something that I wanted to mention earlier because the power of networking and sharing experience with other members of the defense industry is so empowering and so helpful. Uh, every time we talk to someone who has been in the same situation or who is working for similar industry but in different area, it is it is helping. It's, we, are, we are learning through experience others. So this is what, what propelled us to. And experience from us from Brisbane. It's few of us here in electronics manufacturing and engineering. We've got Intelli Design, we've got HEDEC, we've got Masters and Young. We all here, luckily, are friendly competitors. We've got really good relationships. And it happened that, of course, we bid for the same work packages with, with Primes. And, and now in time of uh, shortages, we try to actually help each other, even though we are bidding against each other, but we all need the same components. We are getting them from the same uh, suppliers. So we are always trying to find a way how to streamline this process and make it faster, easier and cheaper for the final customer who is defense and talk to primes and explain to them that there must be a better and easier way how to tackle this problem. So collaboration with competitors and the industry is is priceless. <laughs> they, I believe they call competitor cooperation as cooptition or things like that. So, <laughs> But it, it does get interesting and it, it, you do all help each other out. Audra, would you like to uh, have the final say on this one? Yeah, look, I, I do. It, it, it's really pleasing to hear these stories come back from our members of how they've come together and, and shared um, their their experiences and um, in, in many cases their IP. So, um, and, and this is one of the things that the DTC does is that we bring companies together. We create that trusted um, ecosystem that encourages the networking, the, the conversations that can take place between companies and the sharing of knowledge. And then within our ecosystem of members, we have 
brand new entrants. Uh, companies have been in the sector for 20 years and companies have been in the sector five to 10. And Sandra's right, that there are companies who are willing to share their experience because they can see the new entrants, um, even where they're, they're direct competitors. Uh, com- some companies are going for a scale of uh, uh, co-opetition that um, the new entrants aren't. And so they're prepared to share that knowledge because they know that by working together, they all win. And um, it's actually quite unique in pockets of Australia. So the collaborative contracting and the teaming model is not something that's widely accepted uh, to the extent which I'd love to see in Australia. It's still emerging. It's still got a long way to go. Um, but the great stories like this Uh, we need to be hearing more of it and getting it out there and encouraging others to do exactly the same because we're not going to create that medium sector in our country in our defence supply chains by each company cannibalising itself and competing against each other. Very valid comment there. Well, Audra, Maury, Sandra and Esther, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for the invite. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.